Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Wayne Gerard Trotman said, Those who do not care escape the anguish of mourning, but never know the delights of love. The meaning of life forever eludes them. This is episode 70 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Allison Penna. She grew up with three younger brothers, one of which had a genetic disease, which meant they needed to be careful around him, even though they weren't sure why. Then, when she was 25 years old, her brother would pass away, and she was left feeling a bit lost because for many years the attention was on him. It caused her to begin looking at the world and life a different way, which kind of isolated her from her peers. At the same time, it caused her to be more empathetic towards others at a very early age. Years later, her husband of almost 20 years would be diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. The end of his life was approaching subtly. This forced them to begin taking chances and live life as fully as possible until he was gone. Then, after his passing, she found the grieving process very difficult and was surprised to find very little support or information on how to process what she was going through. She was told she was doing things wrong, and she gave herself the name Bad Widow. Now she's using her experience and the things she's learned in the process to help others grieve difficult losses of their own. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Allison Penna, aka Bad Widow. Hey, Allison, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. You were one of the many people that signed up through podcastguest.com, and I'm just glad to uh, have you here and, and be able to share your story with my listeners. So again, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So the first question I like to ask every guest to get started is, what is your definition of vulnerability? My definition of vulnerability is being willing to share what's happening, even from inside the raw. So I'm Alison Penna, AKA Bad Widow, and Bad Widow came about because I could find a lot of resources of people who were already through it, already through the grief, already through the rage, but I couldn't find very many that said anything about what it was like to be exactly where I was. So vulnerability is from exactly where you are, whatever that is. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, and, and I've probably said this on other episodes, but it, it continues to come up that it really is about that internal work and working on yourself, um, which is, I'm really glad to hear only because I, I, I feared starting this podcast that because of the trendiness of vulnerability and everything that you hear about it, that, you know, it's, it's one of those, everybody's going to think this is like, you know, let's come on here and share my sob story and whatever. But what, what I'm hearing over and over again, like I said, what I'm glad about is that a lot of people define it as doing that internal work, working on yourself, going inside and not so much about all the external. So I'm just, uh, I'm just glad that you said that. <laughs> well, I mean, I believe that one of the critical things is for people to be able to recognize that they're not alone. And the only way to do that is to tell stories that are true stories, not stories that are varnished stories of what's happening. 
No, for sure. And and I definitely agree with, you know, having, being able to share your story to, to let people know they're not alone and to find that relatability. But I, I think that the internal work is, is definitely the first step. And so, uh, like I said, I'm just glad that uh, we're agreed <laughs> on that point. Um, so if you can look back on your own life and go back as far as you want, um, you know, I definitely want to get into the the sort of uh, what you just mentioned there about becoming a widow. But um, if we can go back uh, before that, if you don't mind, and look at, you know, when when would you say would be the first time in your life that you faced some sort of vulnerability or some sort of struggle or challenge? Um, I don't know. It, it all goes back to early days for most people. Um, when I was a kid, I'm, I'm uh, first born. I have three younger brothers. I have one brother that was born with a genetic disease, which we weren't actually told about. And so we had to be careful with him, but we didn't know why. (laughs) And he died when I was 25 and he was 23 of this disease. And so, um, you know, really feeling like I was being pushed down to protect him, but not knowing why. I would say that was probably the first, the first time. And I was, you know, six or 10 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from the sounds of it, I guess what you're saying is, is more so because of what his condition was, there was more of a focus maybe on him. um, And, and which obviously can lead to feelings of, you know, the abandonment or like that you're not, you don't matter or whatever the case might be when that's not probably what, what was happening, but at six years old, I'm sure it's not easy for you to really come to that conclusion. Yeah, exactly. And, and then sort of throughout my life, I've always, thought differently. I've always sort of looked at the world in a different way than a lot of my peers. And so throughout my life, there's been a lot of experiences of just not being understood. Um, I, <laughs> I was, uh, my family and I were going on a trip and we, so we were taking a plane and we were on this long line and the people were complaining about the person at the front of the line who didn't speak any language that the agent spoke. And they started muttering about this woman. And I've always had a really strong sense of what's fair and just. And as a little kid, I was maybe 10 or 12. I got angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. And I walked to the front of the line and I talked to the agent And she had a piece of paper where this woman was meant to go. I took the piece of paper. I took the woman, walked her to her, my family sort of following behind. (laughs) And she kissed me on both cheeks and got on her plane. Um, So this this sense of not being understood and, and in a world that's not always fair and fighting for that that's been kind of something that i've done all my life it sounds to me like you've you've had a lot of empathy 
Uh, it would be the word that I've used because I don't know too many 10 year olds in my own life, at least <laughs> that would do something like that when they saw somebody struggling rather than, you know, sort of joining in with the group of people that you were saying were sort of muttering or, or just sort of getting angry and, and maybe saying things and, and judging or, or assuming whatever the case might be. Um, but it sounds like you were sort of a very empathetic um, child and, and decided, you know, I can do something to help this person to fix this problem. And then you went and did it, which kudos to you, because again, I don't know too many 10 year olds that would have made the same decision. Um, you know, what, what would you say, um, you know, got you there? Like, because, you know, again, I, I, you know, I'm looking at you just sort of shared the story of, you know, with your brother and, and what was going on there. And then, you know, but somehow, even though you felt like you were sort of being held down and everything, you still found a way to to find this empathy or, or find this ability to still care and, and, you know, want to help people. So what would you say helped you get there? Just cause I, I can, again, as a six to 10 year old, <laughs> it seems to me that something must've assisted that. Well, I mean, it was never mean. It was always clear, you know, just to be straight about it. Um, it was just not understanding the way that I looked at the world and the way that I thought. And I, I grew up, privileged. I grew up in Manhattan. My dad was an investment banker. So that was my world. I lived in a particular bubble. And you can't see out of a bubble if you don't know that you're in it, right? But it never made sense to me that I lived in a world that was mostly white. It, it seemed to me that there had to be something more. And then when I was 15, I started tutoring in Harlem as an extracurricular. And then I was like, oh, wow, this whole world out here. That's amazing. These people that I never knew before are amazing. And then I started really mapping what the, the filters I'd been seeing through and the world that opened up to me and deconstructing it, what was working and what was not working. Was there some small thing that I could do? Um, and, and that is, you know, that's pretty much, when I became a widow, there were so many assumptions made and so many things that were wrong about how people were interacting with me, what they were doing, that same story. It was like, I have to fix this. This pain must serve. And that's been a thread, I would say, where I've seen things that didn't work. I want to make them work better. No, again, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, um, you know, sort of that you took these, these leaps and, and these chances. And, and also, like, it seems to me that exposure is something that that helped you in, in throughout your life was that you weren't somebody who just, although you grew up privileged, and although you were sort of in that bubble, you decided that you were going to expose yourself to things outside of that, and, and start to learn more about the world and, and sort of, um, Feed your curiosity, if that makes sense. I think that's something that I could see here is, is that you were curious and you, you, you sort of went to look for answers rather than some people who would just be curious and then just be like, ah, whatever, <laughs> this is the world. Right, it, right. You know, there's no reason to try and, you know, understand it anymore um, than I already do. So I'll just continue on this path. And I think what 
I've discovered and what I'm, I'm sure other people have discovered over uh, in their lifetime. And, and I've heard on this podcast as well is, you know, that most of your growth happens outside your comfort zone. And it seemed at a young age, you discovered that, which again, uh, is awesome because uh, it takes more for me, it took almost 30 years <laughs> to realize that, you know, going outside my comfort zone is where the growth is. So uh, again, I'm just glad that you were able to s- discover all this at such a young age. Yeah, and I think that that vulnerable, bringing it back to the podcast itself, being vulnerable, people who are willing to be vulnerable are willing to be more curious. They're willing to make mistakes. They're willing to risk because if you're vulnerable, you're taking a risk. Mm -hmm. If you're not, you know, stuck inside your assumptions and unwilling to look outside of them, that's a risk. There's a risk that someone will go, no, you're wrong. And goodness knows that's happened. (laughs) Probably to you as well. Oh, I'm sure it's all of us, right? Because again, like you said there, it's it's mostly based on assumption, right? Because people assume, you know, something about your life or or that it should be done this way or that way. I mean, there's we could probably go down an hour long conversation about this in terms of how society sort of tells us the way to do things. I mean, that was my life for most years was like get a good career, buy a house, all that kind of stuff, and and I did it all, and and I'm glad that I did in, in a lot of ways but in other ways I'm like if I had have chosen a different path what may have happened then if I right so and, and you know luckily now I've decided to start going down a different path and it seems to be uh, better <laughs> than, than than my past but the you know the point being is that you know it's just like you said is that you know we, we have to be vulnerable we have to be vulnerable with ourselves and decide to take those risks and um, you know, hopefully more of us uh, start to do that, especially nowadays with, with the way the world's going. But again, another rabbit hole that we can <laughs> jump down that that I'll stay away from. Um, so now, like, yeah, if you want to sort of uh, get into the story, like I said, that that you would sort of mentioned at the beginning there and you've brought up a couple of times about becoming a widow. I read the, the bio that you provided when you signed up. But if you don't mind sort of getting into that story and then uh, we'll go from there. Absolutely. Um, So I was um, married almost 20 years. I was with the same guy for um, almost 25 years. And in um, 2015, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And basically when that happens, what the doctors say is, you know, get your affairs in order, you're done. Not in so many words, but basically, you know, if you don't have a will, go to the lawyer this week, you know, <laughs> because it's um, six weeks to four months is the lifespan typically of someone with pancreatic cancer. Um, so suddenly we were on a, a fast track and the doctors kept saying, you know, you might want to slow down, you might want to do less. And that made no sense to us as a way to live because we were either, he was either going to sort of die on the way to dying or we we were going to live on the way to his dying. And so we chose the second path and started really recalibrating what was important to us. Because when you're with someone 25 years and then you're looking at them and they're losing their hair, you know, he rides city bikes here and they had been, he had been told he would lose his hair and he went out for a bike ride and suddenly his eyelashes were coming off, were flying off as he was riding the bike and his hair was coming off. 
you know, and those are really stark and really awful things to be experiencing and to be witnessing. Um, but what it did for us was it made us in a certain way fearless because if we were going to live till the last minute, what did we want our lives to be like? And people say that, you know, what would you do if tomorrow was the last day? For us, there was going to be a tomorrow that was the last day for us. And it was coming really fast. So we started cutting out of our lives the things that we didn't care about. We started executing our bucket lists. The oncologist said, as he went from 263 pounds to 146, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And we refused to stop living until he died. So he finished his last commissioned painting. He was an artist. Uh, the Thursday before the Saturday, he died in my arms at home. I had on my bucket list, and I was so terrified. I had on my bucket list to speak on stages about the work that I do and to sing in cabaret shows. In the 11 months before he died, I spoke on three stages and I sang on four. Now, I cried through most of those at some point. Vulnerable, <laughs> right? But it was on my bucket list. I had not done it for 10 years. And suddenly the urgency rose. Like you said, you were on a path and now you've chosen a different path. It doesn't invalidate the path you took. It's part of what made you who you are. You know, what we do, good or bad, it, it builds us. Um, and so there was this fearlessness. Then after he died, so I fought, there's a lot of pressure to put people in the hospital. Um, you can't handle it. And he and I both wanted him to die at home. And we had been doing this practice of sort of filling up with love when we got really scared, when it was really awful. And so I'm holding him in my arms. His head was on my shoulder. And he was saying, you know, will you take care of my mom? Will you take care of my paintings? Will you take care of this? Will you take care of that? I'm like, yep, yep, yep. I said, in a body, you need breath and love. Outside of, outside of a body, you just need love. So when you're ready, go out on the love. And literally in my arms, he took four breaths and he left. And then I was a widow. Like that. And people tell you to prepare. And there are things that you can prepare for. You can prepare the finances. You can think about things. You can't prepare for being with someone 25 years and having them gone and you'll never see or touch them again. There's actually no way to prepare for that. Um, and it was was rough. The first year was massive grief. Uh, the second year was within 10 seconds, zero to rage. I mean, and I had no control over any of it. There are some physical manifestations to a loss like this. Um, 
variable energy. I couldn't count on being able to do anything necessarily. So when I had energy, I got things done as fast as I could because the next day might be different. Um, memory loss. I could lose a thought within two or three seconds. At one point I had baskets of power bars around my house because I had maybe 10 seconds to get to the kitchen in the first six months after he died before I forgot I was hungry again. Um, so, and, and then the last one was inability to focus. So I was a consultant who couldn't connect with people. I just didn't have the capacity for anyone. And I also did proofreading and editing, but I had the attention span of a fruit fly and I couldn't remember. So if you're reading a 30 page legal document and you have something that changes from the first page to the 20th page, you need to actually be able to remember that or you can't do the job. So those were some of the like practical things that happened. And then, and I was, felt like I was broken and I was treated like I was broken. And this time right now with everybody upended by these circumstances outside our control reminds me very much of that first year that just disorientation, that sense of, of time and when will this be over and all of that. It's very much like that first year. And things changed. So people were trying to help me. You know, what can I do for you? And my flip thought was, give me back my husband, you know? I mean, that's really what I wanted. But nobody could do that. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted. I mean, I was barely getting out of bed for a period of time. So that was not a useful way for people to interact with me. And I started to do two things. I started to see that my world was smaller than the world that I wanted to be living into. And I started to deliberately push back against that. Um, so I started making plans. Okay, today I'm going to reach out to somebody. And then I realized I need to be back in the workforce, be back doing things. So the first job I did was I, I had a fellow widow who ran a Halloween pop-up store. And she hired me. She allowed me to do four-hour days. That was all I could manage. And I knew I could hang something up on a rack. I couldn't connect with people. I couldn't proofread or medical edit, but I could hang some, something up on a rack. And I'll tell you, four hours of that, I was exhausted at the end of the day. But I was also pushing my world bigger. You know, I was starting to reclaim what I wanted my life to look like. And it was sort of a point where I said, you know, all the circumstances say I'm broken. I say I'm not. That's that inner resilience. Sort of getting back to when, when the world around you is completely disrupted. The future you had planned for is gone, will never come to pass. Um, 
if you don't go inside, you can't get back on your feet. You just can't. And so the point at which I started, I decided I was not broken, could not be broken unless I said so. I started to push out and make a bigger life for myself again. So, I mean, there's a lot there, obviously, to, 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 uh, to unpack and to talk about for sure. The first thing I really want to say is, uh, you know, I really want to sort of commend you for uh, what you guys did before his passing. Um, I, you know, I, I, I've heard through, I don't know if you know of Bronnie Ware, but she's somebody I've heard on podcasts and, um, you know, she has a book that talks about the top five regrets of the dying. And number one is that people didn't live out their dreams. They didn't do the things that they wanted to do. So again, I just want to commend you for it, for taking that step to look at your bucket list and to really start going at it. Because I think a lot of people, um, are probably not even going to reach those by time their life ends. And you sort of did it, even though it wasn't your life that was ending, you still took that chance and said, because you, you sort of, I guess, took the, um, I don't know if message is the right word, but you, you saw what was happening to your husband and you realized like this could happen to me as well. Um, and also the fact that because he wasn't going to be there that long, that you might as well enjoy as much the time as much as you can, which again is just very commendable. And, and, you know, I, I just really want to touch on that because I think a lot of us, um, you know, when, when these sort of things happen, we get inside our own heads, we can become, you know, depressed. We can, you know, be sort of, we, we can go a completely different direction. The other thing that was really um, important to hear from you and that I think is a great message for other people to, to hear and something that I just sort of want to echo was talking about how you sort of told him that, you know, just to go with love. Um, I think that that's something I could have heard a few years ago when I had a family member pass away, because instead of doing that, I just sort of, you know, distracted myself and found ways not to think about their passing and all that kind of stuff where, and then, you know, a couple of years ago when I lost another grandparent, um, it was, you know, I was able to sort of have more love for them. I was sort of able to recognize that they were at peace, which allowed me to be at peace. And so I can see the difference for myself, at least, you know, in, in how we can take these situations. And I'm sure again, like other people, you know, might do the same. And then, you know, when you get into the grief part for me, um, in your case, it's interesting to me how, you know, sort of we look at grief as this thing, like, you know, most people I would hear would say, probably say like, you know, you grieve for months or whatever, or you should only grieve for this long and so on and so forth. And, and, and that's probably not the right way to go about it. Um, cause I've also heard, you know, that grief is a lifelong thing. It's just a matter of how it changes over time. But what I was going to get to was what was interesting to me when you were telling that sort of story was that how much of an effect the grief had on you physically, mentally. Um, these are all things that I don't think a lot of us take into consideration where we think that grief is just sort of an emotion. But it seems to me that it's a hell of a lot more than that if all those things were, were, were sort of happening to you. So uh, that's pretty much what I've got to say about that. I don't know if you want to add anything to that before I get into any more questions. But yeah, I just wanted to sort of pull that out of what, what you said there. Yeah. I mean, I, I was depressed. I was, um, and, and I want to say something about that, that the way that people talk about just press on through, just keep going. There are moments when that's not possible. It's really not possible. So I, I was depressed at times. I was sad. I was way too much for most people around me. 
there were very few people who could deal with the the extent and the depth of my grief um, and I'm blessed to have had some who could um, the other thing that I wanted to say was that I define loss and and with every transition of any kind we experience loss the life that we knew will no longer happen. So I define loss as the death of a future imagined or co-created that will now never come to pass. And people talk a lot about getting back to what I had. That's fiction. Because none of us are the same person we were a minute ago, let alone after a big loss or a big transition of some kind. We're just not the same. And so if we act like, if, if we're looking at our life and our priorities and what we, what we care about, what we want to do, who we want to interact with, like we were that person that we were, not the person that we are, we're going to be headed in the wrong direction. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's kind of the default of how people operate in the world. But big, big, disruptions are an opportunity to take a real look. That's how I see it. Um, and to say, is this the life? Is this the world that I want for myself or not? And if not, where do the priorities shift? Where do the actions shift? What am I doing next? Right? And that's the tragedy and the excitement of it. I have very weird perspectives. You'll learn no, on this podcast. You know, you know, and, and honestly, it's funny that you bring up that word because that was sort of the, the next question that I was going to lead to is like, how did you sort of get to these perspectives? Like, I'm listening to that story that you just told and I'm thinking like, I probably wouldn't have even made it to where you're at. I probably would have just continued sort of in, you know, and obviously, like I said, you know, in retrospect, I, I you know, like I, I was there a few years ago where I just sort of did everything I could to ignore it and, and not allow myself to deal with the emotions and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, but going through the extreme that you went through, um, you know, it seems to me that it would have been even harder to come out of it because of the fact that, you know, A, it was your husband, somebody who was close to you for, for that many years, um, you know, and, and, because of the fact that even just, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that you, you, you sort of were at home with him, you, you saw him go, like all that kind of stuff, it just sort of brings another level to, to how hard it might have been. Um, so again, going back to the question, you know, like how did you find these perspectives? Like what would you say helped you find them? I know it might have taken some time for sure, but, but what helped you get there? Um. I deconstruct everything. So I, I'm a good observer of my own experiences. And so I looked at, you know, going forward, what did I want in work? What did I want in, in, um, in love? What did I want in relationships? And the, the real driving force was this pain must serve. I am not going through all of this and have it not serve other people. And so even in the 11 months when Dave was dying, I was sharing on Facebook. When he died and I posted that, 300 people commented. You know, and so I've been very open about the journey. 
and how did I get to the perspective? I, I believe that it's natural to um, contract in the face of hurt. Big hurts, little hurts. It's really natural to contract. The problem is if we stay stuck there. So contract, integrate, expand. That's natural. It's like the sea doesn't ebb or flow. It ebbs and flows. We're like that, right? We're kind of like the sea. So I needed to find a way to expand. And one of the things I did was, first of all, I looked at, I started to address the breakdowns that I was coming across. So forgetting to eat, put around baskets of food, not able to work at what I was qualified for, take a pop-up job. Um, the hardest thing was starting to date again because that felt like a huge betrayal of my husband. But I'm not going to live the rest of my life alone. So I decided I was entitled to two epic love affairs, not one but two. And so in each case, what I did was I looked at the life that I had, this contracted life, and I thought, okay, how am I going to push it out? You know, so I've gone from pop-up store back to consulting, back to, you know, you have to start where you are and then start pushing out. Because you can't go from barely able to get out of bed back to, you know, networking and reaching out. I mean, I couldn't tolerate people at all. Um, so perspective. It was, even though I can't see the horizon of when this will be over, this will pass. Um, even though I couldn't see any world other than this really small world that had occurred with the traumatic experience, I wanted more. And I started reaching out for more. And the more had to be big enough to go through the pain. So when I started dating, I didn't say I'm going to start dating. I said, I'm going for my second epic love affair. You know, when I took back my business, I'm going to talk about exactly what I want to talk about. This bad widow brand. Everyone said, well, you have to niche down. And I decided that I didn't. That I could talk about anything that I knew about in my own experience, as long as it was bold, brave, visible, and vulnerable. So that's business, dating, relationships, networks, anything. And so the, the scope of a world is as big as you say it is. Now, it, you have to work to get there. It's not you know, <laughs> wake up one morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's magical thinking. Yeah. <laughs> it's not how it goes. Yeah. This is something that I, I think like I pulled from that, especially as you started to talk about it is it's sort of like, I, I don't know where, where I've heard, I, I know there's a saying, I can't think of it right now, but in terms of like what I'm thinking is baby steps. 
like it's not about sort of going from zero to 100 the next day it's taking those little steps like you like you said you went and got the job at the pop-up stop you you pop-up shop sorry you started to like do little tasks and then i'm I'm, again i don't know for sure but i'm going to assume that after some time of doing that you were able to maybe start interacting with maybe one or two people right so you didn't just throw yourself back into i'm going to go back into consulting or i i think you did say you tried but you know you you didn't try and force yourself to do the big steps right away you took little steps and and had progress which i think is really important um the other thing that i i sort of, of took away from that is that what some people may do is they may try and throw themselves back into that 110 percent, but what they're trying to do is just block out everything that's going on um mm-hmm. and that's i think leads you down a completely different path and one that i don't know that is the best <laughs> option um like i said through my own experience and I'm, I'm sure you know there's other people out there that that have tried to do the same um so yeah i don't know if that that makes sense to you but that just seems to me like what the the, the sort of the message that comes from that for me is you know start with small steps and just make sure you're continuing to take a step and and that way you can sort of progress to where you want to get to Exactly. So there are two things I would I would follow up to that. One is that there are a couple of strategies people typically take after a loss like the one I had. They um, dive into their feelings and just lay there. Or they try and just run into action and avoid the feelings. So this creates a volcano effect volcanoes when they erupt are not pretty so you know not a great strategy um the other thing that i wanted to say is that when you it's it's like trying to jump back to who you were after the event right and act like you're there when you're not first of all it's destined for failure You just can't do that. And then what happens is that when the person does what they can do, so everybody can make some steps. You know, there were times I could get a lot of done, a lot done, like lots of writing. There were times getting my foot on the floor to go to the restroom was a big deal, you know. And I had to deal with where I was in that day, in that moment. And so... If you just say that it's a success if you can get to where you were before the event, then you're not celebrating the progress. And it's really important to celebrate the progress. You know, the baby steps, because then that gives you the courage to take the next one and the next one. You know, and and every step, even if it's crab-like, gives you a different viewpoint. So when I was a little kid, we played this thing, red light, green light, one, two, three. And, you know, there'd be one person and they would say, red light, green light, one, two, three, and you'd run and try and touch them. Every time you move, you have a different view. From that different view, there are other possibilities. There are other actions, other decisions. So moving, even if it's a tiny step, is huge. And, and really needs to be celebrated because it's a big deal that you're moving at all. So that's 
Oh, no, I, I, I like I'm just taking it in because like what I what I think is is really interesting and and great about like sort of the message and the perspectives that you're giving is that I think these apply not only to grief and not only to loss, but to pretty much anything that we do in life, because, you know, the, 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 what you continue to say over and over again that I continue to hear over and over again is like, we're not the same person tomorrow that we were yesterday and I think a lot of us need to sort of take that into consideration because you know for myself you know negative self-talk and I'm sure for a lot of us is something that happens and a lot of that is just because we're we're judging ourselves too much and we're judging ourselves for the mistakes we made or the failures we've had and so on and so forth but uh, we need to sort of take the perspective of learning from it rather than getting held back by it and I think that's where you're coming from when you're saying you know celebrate each little small win and again I think this is relatable like I said to to more than just you know grief and loss and I I think I just wanted to sort of put out there was I had this huge grin on my face when you sort of made the the uh the, the the um comparison of a volcano erupting and, and your emotions and everything i 100 percent know that feeling that's why i sort of smirked at it and and that's why i was saying i don't think that that's the right path in terms of suppressing things because i've seen my emotions go crazy um you know once i finally decided to start letting things out and and you know so yeah it's just i definitely would agree with you there one thing i wanted to ask and and i know it might seem like a, an odd question but it's just something that i'm uh, wondering because of, of sort of the things that you're saying, but uh, is mindfulness been something that you've sort of used or some, or is it something that you were, um, was a part of your life as this process was going on before it, just because you have a very, um, uh, the, the way that you're the speaking, the things that you're talking about, even just how you sort of mentioned that one part of that, uh, what you were saying before was sort of, uh, you know, being, here now and, and and focusing on what's going on today and not so much the future or the past those are all things that sort of in my eyes lead to down a path of mindfulness so I just thought I'd ask because I've you know used meditation and stuff over the last little while and I think it's something that more of us could benefit from so if you don't mind I, I just wanted to ask and then if there's anything you want to say about that I'd love to hear it yeah no I agree I think mindfulness is really really important um when, when things are sort of going crazy outside, um, having them run around inside your head and try to get solved there is not very useful. So I do, um, I do journaling. I have, I'm a big crystal person. I do cards. I do meditation. Um, walk in nature. Uh, my feeling is mindfulness, which is for me a, a kind of self-care is whatever you say it is. Um, and it's really important to remember that when we are adults, we think of these kinds of practices, self-care and mindfulness as potentially expensive, <laughs> right? I want to tr go around the world. I want to do this. I want to do that. For me, self-care and mindfulness is whatever allows you to reconnect with yourself. And so when Dave was dying, I asked my friends for all their ideas about self-care and mindfulness. And I got a hundred suggestions. And the reason I did that was when I was exhausted, I couldn't think. So I had a list I could just go to. Oh, okay, I want to do that. That will reconnect me to myself. So I think mindfulness is essential. If you're not 
coming from inside yourself first, the choices that you're making, the actions you're taking are not going to be on point for the direction you want to be going. Uh, again, you're, you're like, I know you said a few minutes ago, you know, that your perspective might seem crazy or whatever, but honestly, I, I think that, that they're, they're, I think they're great personally. I think that what you just said there is is going to open things up for a lot of people because I think that a lot of people do define mindfulness as it has to be this, it has to be that. It's very like stringent, whereas what you're saying I think is, is super important that it's whatever you need it to be, it's whatever you want it to be. It's it's more about self-care and I, and I just couldn't agree more because I've seen over the last few years of the, the benefits of self-care. I, I tend to say to a lot of people now is, you know, how do you expect to take care of somebody else if you can't take care of yourself? How do you expect to be, how do you expect to make someone else happy if you're not happy yourself? Like there's really, uh, you know, there's major benefits aside from your, what, what it does for you um, as well as what you can do for the outside world when you really focus on your own care first and get yourself to where you need to be. And then from there you can sort of share it with the rest of the world. Like you're sort of saying with uh, how your belief is that, you know, your pain, needs to serve you can't just go through it just to suffer um, which again I think is an awesome way to look at things too yeah the other thing that's really interesting about mindfulness and self-care is that they expand your capacity so they actually let us think better and let us make better choices uh, because once you're solid in yourself then you know what to do next yeah. Oh, and, and like, uh, sorry, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, it's, um, that's fine. Oh, I was that's just, it. all I was, all I was going to say is I think you're a great example of that just because again, it, for you to go through everything you went through to go through sort of that year, um, of, of just turmoil and, and, and everything that came along with that. And now to get to where you're at right now, I think that that's a, a I don't think there's a better example out there of how important self-care is and what it can do for you as long as you sort of take those steps, like you said, day after day after day and, and continue to sort of work on what's good for you and not what the world might tell you is, is right or wrong. Yeah, exactly. And there are really three, three th strategies that I use to get from where I was to where I am. Can I share those? hundred percent. Go ahead. Okay, so the first was to re-engage. That's the pushing out I was talking about. Okay, if the world that you're living in is not big enough for you, what do you want? <laughs> and then how are you going to get there? What's the first baby step and the next one? And then maybe a bigger one because you've expanded your capacity, your confidence. So that's re-engage. The second is reinvent. After any loss, any transition, you're not the same person. We talked about that. So the question there is, what are your new priorities if there are any? Are there people you're going to disconnect from, people you're going to reach out to? Are there activities you're going to stop doing and activities you're going to start doing? So that's kind of recalibrating, reinvent. And then that piece changes the trajectory of your life very often because you're going to be making different choices because different things are important to you. And then the third piece is rebuild. So during Dave's illness and after he died, there were people who stepped up, people who stepped back, and people who stepped out. A widow friend said some of her A people stepped out and some of her C people stepped up. <laughs> it was unpredictable. 
So what happens is we think about our networks as usually for business. In fact, we exist in what networks throughout our lives for everything. You know, who are you going to go do a particular kind of exercise with? Who are you going to go out to have dinner with? You know, who do you do the mindfulness practices with? Who is for business? Who is for, right? So we, we have these networks that either support us or don't. But we usually treat them like a default thing. And so we don't look at them after every transition and say, okay, does this network hold me up, build me up? Does it support me? Am I supporting the people in it? Are there people who no longer fit? And we're not nurturing and culling our networks proactively. So if in this reinvention piece, you see that, let's say you want to scale your business or you want to try a different kind of exercise, are there people in your networks who are going to do that with you? Because if there aren't, it might make sense to begin cultivating those people. Sort of rebuilding, like you said. <laughs> rebuilding. I, I, yeah. I think that, you know, for me, the one that, that really stood out to me is, is that second one. I mean, all three of them are, are important and, again, I think relatable for multiple situations. But the second one, I think, is something that more of us need to realize um, in terms of just reinvention because I think that we, we sort of get stuck. Uh, one thing I've talked about uh, and, and I've heard again on other episodes with other people that I've interviewed is this thing of identity, of our identity is getting stuck in whether it's our career, maybe, you know, you're, uh, uh, you were playing some sort of sport and you went like semi-pro or something and, and then you didn't make it and your identity was just stuck in that. And so it's hard to move forward because you don't know who you are because you tied your identity too much to something else. And I think like that's why I said that second one of reinvention is something that we all need to realize is something that we should all probably be doing at some point. And it doesn't have to be like, um, you know, a, a, a complete like 360 change, like I'm going to change completely the person that I am, but maybe just reinventing certain parts of you, reinventing certain parts of your life. I mean, for me, as an example, I was in sales for, you know, 90% of my working life. And now I'm doing a podcast and I'm not in sales whatsoever. And so there was a slight reinvention in terms of my career choices, but you know, the, the, the ability to communicate with others in an effective way, the ability to network with others, that all came from that previous career. So there wasn't a complete reinvention. I just took some of my skills and sort of use them somewhere else. So I don't know if that makes sense or, or, or works with what you're, you're talking about, but that's sort of what I took away from it. No, it absolutely makes sense. And, and when I say reinvention, I don't mean that you're like jettisoning everything <laughs> that you were because that doesn't make sense. That's a part of who you are. It may not be. So anything that you've done well is something you can carry forward into anything you do going forward, right? That's why I think another thing that I do is tutor. I think it's really important that kids have something that they enjoy that they're really doing well. And it doesn't have to be school. <laughs> it could be sports. It could be art. It could be music. It could be anything. But it's a transferable thing. This experience of, wow, I really loved that. That was really great. And so owning 
who you were, who you are, and who you will be, because all of it's transferable. You know, all of it can be taken forward. The other thing that was kind of magical, after Dave died, I needed so much. I mean, I needed so much help in so many ways. Um, you know, emotional, physical, mental, financial, everything. And um, what I discovered was that if I could be really, really clear, if I could get myself really clear about what I needed and ask someone who had the capacity to do it without too much of a stretch, they would do it about 80% of the time. Because everyone likes being a hero. People are really scared of getting it wrong with someone who's had something hard happen, especially if it's loss of a loved one, loss of a spouse, that kind of loss. So unless they can get it right, they're not going to act. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, sorry, I don't know if I'm cutting you off again, but I apologize. Go ahead. No, go ahead. If you. Yeah. And so the, 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 the key is to get absolutely crystal clear for yourself so that you can ask in a clear way and the person can say, I can do that. So when, when Dave was dying, oxygen wasn't covered and he couldn't breathe. And a friend sent money for oxygen. So that level of clarity, she could do something. She could help us pay for the oxygen. And then people will do it. I mean, I, the reason people don't get what they want is they're either too vague or they're too big. So if you're asking for world peace, okay, but what's the one <laughs> step I can do? Like, what can I do in this? And then they'll do it. I mean, it was magical. It changed everything. So what I was going to say there, and, and again, I so I apologize. Your, your pauses sometimes <laughs> they're they're great, they're hard to read. And I, I just you know I'm trying to to obviously want to let you get everything out. Um, the one thing that I wanted to sort of touch on was I think a lot of us fear asking for help. I think that's a big part of it. Um, so I think what your approach is of of being clear could help a lot of people sort of get more. Um, confidence in asking for help I guess if that, that might not be the right word but I just I've heard a lot of times where a lot of people just fear asking for help whether it's because they feel like they're going to be rejected um, or whether it's just because they feel like it, it makes them smaller I guess in some ways because they need to ask for help but I think where you're coming from in terms of being clear about it is is a key to maybe helping a lot of people start to realize okay it's not that hard as long as I know exactly what I'm looking for uh, the other thing that I, I, I found interesting was when you were talking about tutoring kids and you said, you know, you want to help them find something that they enjoy. It doesn't have to be in school. It could be anything. And and one thing that I've discovered over the last few years, and, and I don't know if uh, you'll be able to relate with this or, or maybe you can talk more about it. But the one thing I found over the last few years is that as adults, we forget about a lot of that. We forget about the joy that we felt as children and the things that we enjoyed that we did for no reason other than the joy of them. Um, and, and it's something that I've tried to get back to myself and a message that I try and put out there. Uh, so again, I don't know if there's anything that you want to touch on with that, but I think that, you know, finding joy in, in adult life goes back to sort of when we're kids. So I think the fact that you're trying to help children find that 
um, hopefully will lead to a future where they can sort of reflect on it and or keep it as a part of their life as they grow. Because I think that that's a big part of, you know, keeping ourselves, you know, happy, um, joyful, all that kind of stuff as adult, adults, because we, we obviously as adults have a million and one distractions and, and, and that can cause a lot of problems on its own. But if we can have something that we can go back to where all it does is provide joy, I think it's, it's huge in terms of sort of bettering our lives and, and, and setting us down that path. Yeah, I think, I think the pursuit of joy and the willingness to include joy in your life is a, is a huge thing. I, I remember um, I'm in New York City, so 9-11 happened, and it was, it felt awful to laugh after 9-11. The, the city was papered with the pictures of the people who were in the towers, and not being willing to experience joy, seeking love, wanting to be to love and be loved again was like being willing to open to joy again. And it was really hard. It was really hard because it felt like if he wasn't here, I shouldn't be joyful. Mm-hmm. But if you think about children, so I remember a, a refrigerator box is delivered the refrigerator is set up and then there's this big box and if you have little children in the house (laughs) it's a fort it's a castle it's a cave it's a it's a box right if you're an adult it's a box it's garbage child (laughs) right it's it has to be folded up and recycled (laughs) but if you're a child it's not and joy is that simple and that complicated yeah, it's allowing our mind to sort of, yeah, it's allowing our mind to sort of open up and to imagine and to dream. And again, these are all things that I think we just lose for whatever reason, whether it's because of, you know, our careers or paying bills or whatever the case might be. But I completely agree with you in the fact that, yeah, it's very complicated, but it's very simple. And it's just a matter of finding our way back, I think, and, and, and realizing like how important it is and then finding our way to bring it into our life consistently. You know, for me, it's started with writing um, where it's something I used to do and I started to do it again and then that started to open me up to being more creative and here we are with the podcast so you know obviously there's more to it but this is not a podcast about me it's about you but I just wanted to sort of bring that up because I think that like I said it's 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 true for years it just sort of was suppressed and I didn't think about it and you know thought "Ah, it's too complicated to figure out something that I enjoy and then you get into it and you're like oh (laughs) this is why I did it this is why I love it and then you continue so um, definitely agree with that so I, I want to respect your time. I, I got a few more questions. Um, uh, one of them is sort of, I want to look at sort of everything that happened throughout your life from, you know, that first story you shared from the loss of your brother and how that sort of made you look at the world differently. And even before that you were starting to, and then sort of the loss of your happened, uh, loss of your husband, sorry. After all that happened, like, how would you say it? that all that helped you get to where you're at today. I know your brand is sort of the bad widow, but I I just want to sort of get an idea of how everything that you've experienced has helped you get to this point. Um, I would say, I would say that I, for a number of years, I suppressed who I was. So I, um, 
and I, I didn't allow myself to, I tried to do the job, the steady, secure job. And I honestly felt like I was dying. I mean, all respect to people who that's perfect for. It was not perfect for me. Mm-hmm. And so then I was about to turn 50. And I asked myself if this was what I was born to do. And it was a resounding no. But I had so squashed down who I was and what I was passionate about and what I cared about that it took me a while to rediscover it. Um, so I had the perspective, but I wasn't acting and using it to serve. So I guess, you know, everybody has baubles. You know, I mean, there are, there are wrong turns, but every turn, even wrong turns, take you to a different place where you can see something else. And so I would say that I have had parts of my life I love parts of my life I'm ashamed of, parts of my life I, I'm embarrassed by, you know, all of it. I could go the spectrum throughout my life, but all of it brought me here. So I'm sort of owning and rejoicing in all of it, even the really rough bits, because otherwise I wouldn't be myself. And I wouldn't be able to, to be who I am, to do what I do. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. No, I, I think it does. <laughs> I, I think for me, what, what I think um, the word that we've, we've said multiple times, and I think you even said it there, I think perspective is the key to what has led you to where you're at, is that you've, as much as, yeah, sure, you've gone through it and, and you've had the, the ups and the downs and the goods and the bads, you've continued to have perspective. And I think that, to me, is what, in, in my opinion, is what has led you to where you're at right now, because you've continued to sort of look at things differently, um, find your way to that next step. And, and I think that's something huge that all of us can definitely benefit from is, is perspective. Uh, so, uh, at this point with you, with your business, with everything that you're doing, would you say that you found success and fulfillment in your life? Or would you say that you're still on the journey towards that? Um, I would say, yes, I found fulfillment and a success in my life. I would say I am really interested in ripple effects. So I'm really interested in um, serving more people and teaching people this, you know, re-engage, reinvent, rebuild set of strategies because I, I think they're life skills. And so once learned, someone could take them after every transition. So mm-hmm. loss of a loved one is a transition. Loss of a job is a transition. A divorce is a transition. A move is a transition. Uh, a new child is, a, you know, it's always happening. Yeah. So if you knew how to deal with that, that would be really cool. So I want to really scale that. Um, so yes, I've reached a certain level of success and yes, I'm going for more. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I, I love the individuality of everybody's answer to that question. And, and I definitely uh, can see where yours fits in with your, your sort of life and, and your journey so far. And the fact that, you know, you've definitely, you've done some of the, done some of, if not all of the things on your bucket list. So you've, you've, you've found that place of fulfillment 
uh, and you've reached the success that you know you're I don't want to say satisfied with maybe content with for now but you still know that there's more that you can do and it's not necessarily the other thing I think it's important to bring up is it's not necessarily about the amount of money you're making um, you know in, in terms of success you talk more about how many more people you can serve and, and that I think is again awesome because you know I think in this when we're in service of others it's what most people don't realize is as much as it's good to help others and and, and it makes them feel better it does a lot for us too that we're probably not even aware of so um, I'm glad that you figured that out I think that we already sort of got the answer to this next question, but I'm going to bring it up anyways, and maybe you have something different to say. Uh, the last question I usually ask is if you can look at your entire journey, your entire life, and you could give our listeners three important lessons that could help them sort of move forward with whatever they're dealing with, whatever vulnerabilities they're facing, um, what would you say those three lessons would be? And if it's the same as the ones that we spoke about earlier, cool. And if not, um, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, the first thing is trust yourself. At the end of the day, it's your life. These are your choices, your actions, which you have to live with. Trust yourself because you can listen to the advice, but at the end, you live with the consequences. So settle in, ask yourself if this is the right direct and direction, trust yourself. The second is um, a baby step is a step. <laughs> baby step is a step in the direction of your dreams baby steps deserve to be celebrated too and the third is no matter what your circumstances you are not broken unless you say so and that decision changed my life that decision made all the difference so those uh, are the three things. Yeah, no, for <laughs> that, no, and and I'm glad that you had something different. And that last one, I think, is is um, huge because I think whether it's thinking that we're broken or whatever it might be that we think it's true whatever we think is what we're going to be so if we think we're broken we're we're going to be broken if we think we're you know a horrible person we're probably going to be a horrible person it, whatever you think is definitely what what's going to happen and and so i think that 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 last one is one that it's home for me and that i think a lot of us should really think about because um yeah i think that it would help us a lot if we can sort of think better about ourselves or, or have a better, uh, I guess, outlook or opinion about ourselves. Um, so yeah. So again, thank you for those. Uh, lastly, I just want to give you an opportunity. You came on here today, you shared openly, you provided a ton of insight for not only myself, but our listeners. So I just want to give you an opportunity to sort of promote yourself, talk about anything that you've got coming up, uh, anything that you have going on currently, uh, share where you, we can find you on social, whatever it might be. The floor is yours. Go ahead. Okay. Um, my website is badwidow.com. Pretty easy. Probably don't even need to spell it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you can find me um, all over with that. I'm Allison Penna, a.k.a. Bad Widow. I have something coming up, which is going to be a quarterly offering. It's called Advance Through Transition, a six-week journey to re-engage, reinvent, and rebuild during difficult times. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's a group program. Um, and I think it's really something that will serve people right now. Um, I am writing a book and I am going to be launching a podcast probably in December, January myself. Oh, 
Awesome. I will make sure to put your website in the show notes. Um, definitely that program sounds like it would definitely, I, I, I was going to say, it, but you said it, that it definitely makes sense right now for people. Cause I think it's something that we could all maybe be doing not only with the free, more free time that we have, but also um, just in, in the case that, you know, it might not be easy for some of us to deal with what's going on and the, the, what you're doing could definitely help um, podcast wise. Uh, you know, if, if I think your episode will probably come out before December, January, I'm pretty sure it'll be out within the next two or three weeks um but definitely you know um try and help you promote that and if there's anything i can do to help you with that because obviously you know i've had one now I, actually my one year anniversary was about four four or five days ago um so yeah if, if there's anything i can do to help let me know um allison i just want to thank you again for for you know coming on here trusting me um and and just sort of opening up the way that you did i'm i could tell throughout the the interview that some of this stuff definitely still brings up emotions for you and and that might not be easy to talk about but i'm glad that you have the strength to do it and that you were able to share with us today because like i said i think a lot of the insights and perspectives that you brought up not only could help us with loss and grief but many other things that are going on in our life so again just thank you um for for taking the time and for coming on today thanks so much for having me on brian you have a great podcast thank you <laughs> take care you too Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.